Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, at the end of the chapter. I want to meditate this morning with you upon the prophetic song that an old man by the name of Zacharias spoke. Luke chapter 1, I just want to draw your attention to verse number 68. As he begins this prophetic song when his tongue is loosed. He says in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. I want you to hear the word visited. He has visited and redeemed his people. That's how this prophetic song begins. And now look in verse number 78 as he brings this prophetic song to a conclusion. In verse 78 it says, Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us. The song begins with the theme of being visited. It ends with the theme of being visited. So when I know when something begins and it ends with the same themes, I think I have a clue as to what the prophetic word, the prophetic song is supposed to be about. This word visit is an interesting word. You remember the story of Zacharias, I'm sure you do. Father of John the Baptist. He was a priest, well advanced in age, as was his wife Elizabeth. And even though the Bible describes both Zacharias and Elizabeth as righteous before God, walking in all of his commandments and all his ordinances, in spite of their righteous lifestyle, they seem to be cursed. Because to be barren your whole life was considered a curse. How do you reconcile you lived your whole life righteous before God, but the evidence seems to be the continuation of the curse of barrenness in your life. Nevertheless, he works faithfully with the Lord. It was his turn, as you know the story well, to minister in the temple. And while he's there in the temple, he has this unexpected, divine, angelic encounter. And this angel says, God has heard your prayers. I know you're old, and I know your wife is old, but you're going to have a boy. I won't even tell you what to name him. Because the custom would be to name him after yourself, after the father. But no, he's not going to be that. He's going to be named John. And there's a call of God. He's to be the prophet of the Most High. And he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Well, let's just suppose this morning we had such an angelic encounter here. May it be. But what would our response be when it is totally unexpected? When God breaks in unexpectedly to the routine that we're so accustomed to and we just... God just shows up with angelic encounter. Well, 
We know, because you know the story well, that his first response was skepticism. <laughs> hey, have you seen how old we are? We're going to have a child? Have you seen how old we are? We're well past the age of childbearing. The situation is impossible and it's hopeless, apart from a divine, miraculous intervention. Zacharias doesn't even know the identity of this angel that he's talking with. Only later does he find out that it is none other than Gabriel. And you know from the Old Testament, Daniel's chapter 9 and 10, that Gabriel is this mighty angel who is trusted by God to reveal divine mysteries to men. This Gabriel stands in the very presence of God himself, Matter of fact, he is God's PA, personal assistant, God's personal servant. Zechariah doesn't even know he's talking to this powerful being by the name of Gabriel. Yet, to anybody like ourselves who are familiar with Old Testament stories, we know that when you're introduced to a barren woman, that that is a very common and a familiar theme in scripture you know because your familiarity with the old testament that god is going to visit this barren woman and she's going to have a child and that child has got a major role to play in the plan of god you know the story of sarah and abraham you know the story of hannah the mother of samuel you know the story of manoah who would be the mother of samson and so when you're introduced to somebody well-aged and barren the whole life, you know there's something coming after the story. Well, Zacharias is skeptical. He's struck dumb for his skepticism. And he's not going to be able to speak another word. I don't know if Elizabeth would think that was a blessing or not. But he's not going to be able to speak another word until the miracle child is born would be given a name, and would be circumcised. In other words, he's got many months to consider what God had said to him. You know, that's important that we do take a good amount of time to consider what God has spoken, because what God has spoken is unexpected, out of the ordinary, and requires miracles to happen for it to come to pass. Amen? And sometimes we could just respond, well, well, our routine is such and such, and we don't expect any divine interruptions to the routine. Thank God for divine interruptions to the routine. Amen? But sometimes we've got to stop and think about it, because we have to adjust. And Zacharias, Zacharias is going to have many months to think over what he has heard and seen, and the miracle that's about to take place. Well, the child is born, they do give him the name of John, and he is about to be circumcised. And at that moment, miraculously, the tongue of Zechariah Zacharias is loosed, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is prophetic word that must have been boiling up in him for months and months and months. And he's now able to release it. This prophetic word begins with this thought. God has come to visit his people. Now that's good news. Let me say it again in case you missed it. God 
has come to visit His people. That's what this Christmas story is all about. God is interrupting history because He has come to visit His people. And that's how this prophetic song begins, and that's how this prophetic song will end. What does this word visit mean? Because it's a key to understanding this prophecy. If I come to visit you, you might think, well, get a cup of tea on, we'll have a nice evening of fellowship, and that's what we call a visit. That's not what the Bible calls a visit. The word visit, if you look it up and you study the word out, the word visit means this, that God has come in order to look upon the situation so he can investigate, so he can make an assessment of what is required and what he can do to turn your situation around. That's what the word visit means. It means God has come to look upon, to investigate, to make an assessment so that he knows what you need and what he needs to do. So with that in mind, that definition in mind, let me say this again. God has come to visit his people. God has come to visit his people. He's come to discover how he can turn our situation around and what is needed and what he can do to bring us benefit. So this revelation of God's visit is first introduced with stories of various divine interventions in the lives of many, many people. Gabriel has first come to Zacharias. Then Gabriel is going to come to a young girl by the name of Mary, who would be the birth mother of Jesus. Elizabeth, the wife of Zacharias, will give testimony. There's going to be an announcement to the shepherds. Simeon and Anna speak prophetic words in their old age. I want you to notice that in this Christmas story, that everybody who has received a visit is by Roman society's definition people who are on the margins. They are the poor. They are the disenfranchised. They are the rejected. God comes to the common laborer. He comes to the aged. He comes to those people who've got something wrong with them, such as being barren your whole life. In other words, the gospel is being preached to the poor. God is visiting. And in Luke's story of the Christmas, how it all happened... A unique feature is this, that everybody that God visits in the opening chapters of Luke turn around and sing prophetic songs. Every last one of them do. Every last one of them turn around and sing a prophetic song. And as I think about this, I would say, what kind of a Christmas would it be without gifts of the Holy Spirit. There'd be no Christmas. Because the whole Christmas story is the gift of faith, working of miracles, and prophecy, 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 discerning of spirits, seeing... I mean, the whole thing is Pentecostal and charismatic through and through. But that's a different message, but I just had to get that in. You know, 
prophetic songs were given to every person that received this divine uh, visitation. So what does it sound like when people talk about what it is that God has visited me and what He's about to do? Zacharias will give one, and we'll look at that today. Mary gives a prophetic word as well, which we'll look at hopefully next week. Shepherds hear prophetic words, and they end up praising God. It was revealed to an old man named Simeon by the Holy Ghost that he would not die until he sees the, the Christ. And then when Mary and Joseph were in the temple, the Bible says he was supernaturally directed by the Spirit to go to the temple at that very time when he conceived the child and will speak a prophetic word over that child. There's an old, old woman there, very old woman, by the name of Anna, who has served God in the temple her whole life with prayers and fastings. And she also will deliver a prophetic word concerning Jesus. You just can't do a Christmas story without the gift of prophecy in operation. Powerful. But everybody who has this divine visitation is going to respond in a prophetic song. And you know, through the gift of prophecy, we're going to hear not my perspective, not your perspective, but you're going to hear God's perspective on the story of what's happening. So how many would like to hear what God's perspective on the Christmas story is? Anybody want to hear God's perspective of what is happening? Well, let's go to chapter 1 of Luke. And the prophetic song given by Zacharias, who would be the first person to experience something supernatural concerning the Christmas story. He's the first person that heaven touched in bringing the Christmas story. And he's going to give his perspective. I mean, he's been sitting on it for a long time, and if he hadn't gone dumb, he might have given this prophecy a lot sooner. But because of his skepticism, when his tongue was finally loosed, you're going to hear the, the prophetic perspective of this individual. It's chapter 1, verse 67, down through verse number 79. What did Gabriel's appearing mean? What does this mean to God's people? What does this mean to Israel? In a general sense, this prophecy is an answer to a question that was asked in verse number 66. Because when they came to name the child, they thought Zacharias after the father. And Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. And the crowd says, what? What do you mean, no, no, no? This is, you always name it after the father. And since, John, since Zacharias couldn't speak, he had to write it all on a tablet, you know. No, his name is not Zacharias. His name is John. And then at that moment, his tongue is loose and prophetic word comes out. And the people seeing this supernatural event happening, that this old woman should have a child in such an old age. And that... Zacharias would go dumb and now he can speak and now it's not even going to be named after his father. Something's going on. And they're saying, well, what manner of child is this going to be? What is this child all about? And this prophetic song is partly going to answer the question of what this is all about. 
Zacharias will prophetically speak specifically to John's role near the end of this song. But we need to understand this, that the future of this child, this miracle child, is part of a much larger story. With the announcement of John's birth, God has set in motion a visitation. How many would like God to set in motion another visitation? Amen? I'll ask the question again. How many would like God to set in motion another visitation? You say, yes, but I have news for you. He already has in our history as a church. Come on. I'm not waiting for Him to do it. He has set in motion another visitation. Come on. Are you with me? Do we just meet in church or is God initiating something? God has set in motion some miracles. I believe it. So do you, or we wouldn't be here. Isn't that the truth? What God is doing through the forerunner named John, as well as the Messiah named Jesus, is viewed as visitation. Verse 68 and 78. But now since the whole thing is viewed as a visitation, that raises a question that Luke will take the rest of his book to answer. And here it is. How will the visit be received? Who will be hospitable to the visitor? You know, there's some TV programs, secular programs out there that kind of caught my attention when I was thinking about this. There's a show over here, and once in a while I see it on television, called The Secret Millionaire. Have you ever seen that show? You have no idea a millionaire has come to visit you. And when he's visiting you, he's, without telling you who he is, he's making an assessment of your needs. Then going away and pondering how he can turn your situation around and bring benefit. I've got good news for you, church. It is more than a secret millionaire that has come to visit. That's good news. More than a secret millionaire. But without knowing the identity of who he is, we're going to have to show if we are hospitable to the visitor, who will show hospitality to this visitor and who will not show hospitality to this visitor Those questions will now dominate the rest of the Gospel of Luke. This is a clue how to read the stories of the Gospel of Luke. John's role, down verse number 77, his role is that he will give the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. To Luke, when he uses that word salvation, it's always referring to a conversion with depth. It is not just something that is outward, but when people are saved, when they know reconciliation through and through in their hearts, 
Knowledge is not just a general mental assent. But when Luke uses that word knowledge, he means a deep intuitive perception of what goes on in the heart. When he explains how God visits, he uses a variety of metaphors, which we'll look at uh, uh, shortly. But I'll tell you one, the, the main metaphor is he's going to make reference to the story of the Exodus from the Old Testament. Many of his pictures are drawn from the story of the Old Testament Exodus. He's going to talk about light coming against darkness. Mercy is a key theme. The prophets of old have now culminated in this prophet of the Most High God. Let's read verses 68 to 71, the first part of this prophetic song. 68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He talks about all the past tense. He says, And He's raised up a horn of salvation for us and the house of His servant David, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Well, that's good news. Because the people who received these visitations were marginalized by society. They were off on the sides, cast out as unimportant people, as common laborers. Old priests that didn't have a son. Common laborers like Joseph, working with his hands as a carpenter. But the good news that he's visited in order to redeem. He's visited in order to save. There are reasons for praising God in these verses. We need to praise Him because He has graciously visited. We need to praise Him because He has raised up a Savior from the very line of David. God has shown favor to us. That's good news. What does it mean to visit? When, when Zacharias uses that word, he's using a word that's familiar to him from his reading of the Old Testament. Because maybe in the back of his mind, he's thinking of Genesis 21, verse 21, or 21, verse 1, where it says, And God visited Sarah. And you know what happened when God visited Sarah? She got pregnant. I won't ask if you want God to visit or not. But when God visited, what happened was that a promise was fulfilled when God visited. Or maybe he has in mind Exodus chapter 4 and verse 31, when after Moses has seen God at the burning bush, and he goes to the elders of the children of Israel and performs the signs to them, and then they make this comment in chapter 4, 31, Surely God has visited us in our bondage. God has visited us. Or maybe He has in mind a scripture like Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 6 when Naomi says, I heard back in Judah how God has visited the people and now given bread after the time of famine. So this word visit 
is a loaded word in the Scriptures. And now through all of these strange events that are taking place, an appearance to an old priest, an appearance to an unwed, probably teenage girl named Mary, that as strange as these events may seem, as out of the ordinary as they may seem, what is happening is this. God is fulfilling promises He has made from the foundation of the world. That's good. That's powerful. He's bringing salvation to His people, which is going to necessarily bring deliverance from our enemies. God has acted powerfully and He's acting irreversibly to bring salvation. Whenever you see that word visit, it is a word the Old Testament uses to costly describe the story of the Exodus. People commenting on the Exodus in the book of Psalms and in the prophets would always refer to that as the time when God visited. And so when you see this word visit, you need to go back in your mind, Exodus story, Exodus story, Exodus story. The time when God comes to assess your situation, look upon your situation, make decisions as what to do, and then bring the needed, the deliverance. The Christmas story is about how God has come to visit the poor of this world. It's a good, good story. The purpose of the visitation in verse number 68 is redemption. He has visited and redeemed His people. That word redemption should cause you to think yet again of the Old Testament Exodus story. God is creating a new community of people for His own pleasure. If you compare the song of Zacharias against Psalm 106, you will discover that he's borrowing a lot of themes from Psalm 106. And Psalm 106 is a celebration of the story of the Exodus. God has come to deliver us from those who oppress us. Hallelujah. He's come to deliver us from those who oppress us. And then when he uses that word redemption, there's a few other images (coughs) that should come to your mind. One of the images is the year of Jubilee is referred to as redemption. You know what the year of Jubilee was in the Old Testament? Every 50 years, there was the year of Jubilee. How many wish it was next year or this year? Because you know what happened on the year of Jubilee? Anybody here in debt? Anybody here got a mortgage? Anybody? On the 50th year, everything was wiped clean. Everything was forgiven. All debts released. If you had to sell your land because you were poor, and now you've got no land, on the 50th year, guess what? You got it back. That's what Jesus is talking about in Luke 4 when He says to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And when you see that word redemption, it includes the forgiveness of all debts entirely. And you're all released from those bondages. Hallelujah! 
That's what this word redemption means. And when it says God has visited in order to redeem, that's part of the story that is going to be proclaimed in the rest of the Gospel of Luke. Zechariah talks about the horn of salvation. That, that means always a symbol of strength. He, he, it's, it's, he, Jesus' coming is going to be from the line of the servant of David, which means he is the king of that kingdom of heaven. He's bringing all sorts of images together to tell you what it means when God has come to visit. Now let's read verses 72 to 75. And we're going to see why our response should be praise. Why our response should be praise. Verse 72, to perform the mercy. I like that word, don't you? To perform the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember His holy covenant. The oath which He sware to our father Abraham that He would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our lives. Praise is the proper response to God. Why? Why is He visiting? Because at the center of His heart is this quality called mercy. Amen. And because He's full of mercy, He remembers His covenant. He remembers His promises. He remembers His desires that He has spoken to His people. And what is happening at this Christmas story is the end of a long, long, long story that goes all the way back to include their forefathers all the way back to the promise of Abraham, and again, as God acted in the story of the Exodus. That which is happening right now is nothing else than God bringing to a conclusion what He has been doing for thousands of years of Israel's history. It's impossible to understand what God is doing apart from the story of the history of Israel. You know, we need to appreciate who we are and where we are in history. Because what God is doing with us is a conclusion to a story that He started some five, six thousand years ago. What a privilege to be at this end of the story. What an honor and what a privilege that I don't live on those 400 silent years between the Old and the New Testaments. What an honor and a privilege that I'm on this side of the Christmas story, that I'm on this side of Pentecost, this side of the outpoured Holy Spirit, this side when God is fulfilling those promises that He he gave thousands of years ago. What an incredible privilege that we are. The mention of mercy in this is pivotal because he's going to use the word mercy again, as we will see. It's pivotal. The reason God is doing what he is doing is because mercy drives his heart. 
Don't know what kind of image people have of God, but let me tell you what the Bible says. Mercy drives His heart. Isn't that wonderful? And mercy is not just a feeling in Scripture. Mercy always performs. It always does something. God acts. And what is happening to Zacharias, this divine interruption into his life, is nothing other than God showing His mercy and fulfilling the promises that He has made thousands of years earlier. He's a faithful God, and He doesn't forget His promises. So where are these promises going to lead? Well, divine mercy is going to lead to our rescue. Hallelujah for that. Amen? Do you know anybody who needs rescuing? Know anybody who's over their head in trouble? Know anybody overwhelmed with things in life? I've got good news for you. Divine mercy leads to people's rescue. Amen. Who is this God that we serve? He is a faithful God in covenant and His mercy leads to rescue. Hallelujah. And you know why we're rescued? According to this song of Zacharias, we're rescued so God could create a people for His own pleasure. We're rescued so we can serve God without fear. We're rescued so we could serve God in holiness and we could serve Him in righteousness. And what Zechariah says in the song is the very, very same thing that the book of Exodus tells us. Exodus 7, verse 16 to be exact. Let my people go that they may worship me. And we've been delivered from something that we might be delivered to God to be His people. And worship describes who we are and worship describes what we are. We are a community of people whose practices are formed in the worship of God. It's a whole way of life. Verse 76 to 79, the last part of this song is directed specifically to this miracle child that's going to be called John. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go forth the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender... Oh, I like this one. Come on. What kind of mercy? The tender mercy. Oh, if you don't remember anything else, remember those two words. Tender mercy. What kind of a God is this? through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. This child is to be God's prophet. He's to prepare the way for God's agent of salvation. An obvious reference to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. What's the relationship of John to Jesus? Well, John is going to prepare the multitudes to hear for the message that Jesus would bring after him. But Zacharias understands this very clearly, that the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the birth of the child of Mary, is none other than God coming to visit That's good news. When Jesus speaks, it is God visiting. 
When Jesus acts, it is God's visiting. So John is to prepare the people to receive the divine visitor. We have to be prepared to receive the divine visitor. And that's what John is about. A visitor is coming. That visitor is going to bring the fulfillment of God's promises. That visitor is going to bring the fulfillment of God's mercies. That visitor has come to rescue us from our enemies. And so John's preaching is to prepare people to receive the visitor. You hearing what we're saying? That's what John's purpose is. He's to give them the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And again, this word knowledge is not just mental comprehension, not just a, a mental understanding, but this knowledge means you experience God for yourself. You have an encounter of God by which you know you have been forgiven. People are reconciled with and they are reconciled to God. And that's what he's preparing the people for them to happen in their experience. So the song of Zacharias talks about the mercy of God, the, the redemption of God is rooted in God's mercy. Maybe Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8, is what Zacharias is reflecting on as he gives this prophecy. Redemption and freedom from iniquities is rooted in the fact that God is a merciful God. Hallelujah for that. Amen. And when it says mercy, this time he qualifies it by this phrase, tender mercy. I like that. I haven't said that for a while. I like that. What kind of mercy? And you know what that word mercy means in, in the Greek language? It's the same word that's translated compassion. And Jesus was moved with compassion. I know we did a message on that some time ago. And that means, compassion means, is something that you sense at a gut level. Have you ever been gutted? You ever had that experience of being gutted? That's the level. That's where the compassion of God comes from. It's a gut level response. So here's the question, or just an acknowledgement. Everything that God does, listen to this, this is worth shouting about. Everything that God does springs from a deep, heartfelt gut compassion for us. Do you realize He loves you? Do you realize He's gutted by the circumstances of your life? Do you realize He's moved with compassion deeply? And He has this deep gut reaction to the misery of our lives. That's why God has come to visit us. That's why God has come to visit us. How is that compassion manifested? It's guts, God's gut reaction to the misery of this world. It's God's gut reaction to those who have been marginalized, to the oppressed, to the poor. 
So primarily, he's going to send his son, his Messiah. And as Zacharias begins to, spring, to, to describe for us God's gut reaction to the needs of the world, he talks about in verse number 78 when he uses that word visit again, he uses, O King James says, the day spring has come to visit us. Or the coming of the dawn. We had a message a while back. I'll repeat it right now. Darkness, every morning, has to surrender to the light. Come on. Every morning, darkness has to surrender to the light. And when God visited and sent His Son, the darkness of this world has to surrender to the dawn from on high. God has come to visit us. Oh, that's good news. That is good news. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Then shall the Son, S-U-N, Son of Righteousness, arise with healing in His wings, the Scripture says. That word dawn sometimes is translated in the Old Testament as the word branch as well. And it refers in Isaiah to the one who's going to inherit the throne of David. The king has come to sit on his throne. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The king has come to sit on his throne. And the root and the offspring of David is none other than the bright and the morning star. Revelation 22, verse 16. So when the dawn comes, when the light comes, well, according to verse number 79, all sorts of good things happen. It's a metaphor of God's presence. To be saved is to be enlightened. The Gospel of Luke will take this theme of enlightenment and shed light on it all the way through the rest of the Gospel of Luke. But there's good news. The world where experienced the realm of darkness and the shadow of death, I've got good news. Dawn has invaded this world. Come on, this is good news. This is good news. Dawn has invaded this world. So this prophetic song brings all sorts of images to our understanding. This, this visitation is the Exodus story to be repeated. This visitation is the year of Jubilee. This visitation is a new covenant. This visitation is illumination. All of these metaphors that Zacharias uses in his prophecy is to project to you and I the magnitude, the immeasurability, the irreducible quality of God's tender mercies. Folks, that's more than people ever hoped for. Let me say that one again. What God is doing is more than you and I hope for. That's the God that we serve. There will be a new community in which God's peace and justice are worked out in our lives. Final question. This happens. This is the words of a man 
who first has an encounter with God in the Gospel of Luke. So this sets the tone for how to read the rest of the Gospel of Luke. The Christmas story is God coming to visit. The question remains is this. How will people respond when God visits? Because He's going to come in ways unexpected, out of routine for us, out of the ordinary, require adjustment on our part to respond to His visit. But here's the way it works in the Gospel of Luke. The one who comes as the visitor, the one who comes to be a guest in your home, if you knew who he was, you would realize that while he has come to visit you, he's actually come to host you in the kingdom of heaven. Did you catch that? The visitor has come to be your host in the realities of the kingdom of heaven. We will find, if we receive this visitor, that we will experience a hospitality that's not of this world. If we receive this visitor, we will discover that we will find ourselves sitting at the banquet of the kingdom of heaven. Luke is going to show us the various human responses to this divine visitor that has come. Why do some people receive him and why do some people reject him? The rest of the Gospel of Luke is going to work out that question. This is a good way, good key, how to read the Gospel of Luke. Who does this dawning Jesus, who does he visit? How was he received? How was he received in the house of Simon the Pharisee? How was he received in the house of Mary and Martha? How was he received by the two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus at the end of the Gospel? How was he received by his own disciples at the Last Supper? Maybe the best story is how did a guy named Zacchaeus receive the divine visitor? But perhaps the better question is this. When this time of year people tend to reflect on these stories in the opening chapters of Matthew and the opening chapters of Luke when we consider the context of the Christmas story perhaps the better question is this do we realize God has initiated another divine visitation are we aware of that are we aware that no matter what we've been through that the prophetic side, God's perspective, is a new visitation. As we consider these Christmas stories, what about us as we consider the Christmas story when divine visitation has been initiated? Who will host him? Only to find out that when we invite him in, he will host us at a banquet in the kingdom of heaven. God has come.
to visit. Hallelujah.